Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. We're so glad that you are here. This summer, we are spending the entire summer focusing on beholding God, gazing at God, pursuing God, getting to know God better, knowing that His Word teaches us that when we do that, He transforms and changes us to be more like Him. So we've looked at different qualities of God and aspects of God the Father. This morning, we're going to look at the names that God uses to reveal Himself in the Old Testament. Even for us, there's significance in names. We receive a name, and we also get to give names. So I was sitting on the couch with my daughter, Lexi, and I looked up the name Graham to see the significance of the name that I was given. And the significance is Gray House. That's it. Um, I told Lexi, and Lexi said, well, Dad, there's got to be something more to it. Like, was it something that somebody does? I said, no, it's just Gray House. So it's not like Vikings who live in a gray house or ninjas that live in a gray house or mighty heroes that were raised in a gray house. It's just gray house. So that's the significance of my last name. But then also we give names, okay? And sometimes that goes a little better because we get to make the choice. Uh, When we named our dog Captain, we went with some friends and we bought two dogs from a litter. They got a dog and they named it Thor. So we thought, well, of course, we should also name it after an Avenger. So we named our dog Captain America, which sounds great until three weeks later, they gave their dog back So Captain America is no longer part of a team, it's just Captain America. So if you're ever driving through South Hills and you hear a woman's voice late at night just yelling, Captain America, Captain America, it's my wife who thinks that if you say his last name, then he'll come home faster. So at night, you'll hear us in the Graham household calling out for Captain America. So we don't always do a great job when it comes to giving names. Sometimes our own personal names don't have a ton of significance. But when the Lord reveals to us his names, he's very intentional. And when he does it, that name has something to do about who, with who he is, and it has something to do with the relationship he has with us. So when God reveals a name, we should slow down, spend some time looking at it, understanding it. Why did God reveal this name here? What does it mean? Why now? Why in this moment? And then the people of God should respond to the reality of who God the Father is. So this morning, we're going to work through several different names. J.A. Packer talks about God's names this way. He says, God's revealed name is, of course, more than a label. It is a revelation of what he is in relation to us. Psalm 910 also talks about God's names. And it says, those who know your name will trust you. Those who know your name, those are the people who will trust their God. So kind of the the big theme this morning is God's names reveal who he is and who he is in relation to us. And then our question will be is how do we respond to that reality? Oftentimes when we talk about our heavenly father, it's just natural for us to use the example that we have from our earthly fathers to look at who our heavenly father is. And this morning, I want us to kind of pull those things apart from each other. Some of you have great relationships with your earthly fathers. Some of you have okay relationships. Others have really rough relationships. 
And some of you have had no experience with your earthly father. So regardless of your background or how you show up this morning on Father's Day, I really want us to go to God's word to understand who our heavenly father is. Sometimes we as fathers don't do a great job. I know 15, 20 years from now when my son is laying on a couch, paying someone to listen to him talk, he'll probably go back to the day when his dad walked into his bedroom and asked him to do something. And I remember that day, Luke said, no, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. So I recalibrated for a second because that was confusing to me. And I said, son, that wasn't really a request. You, I want you to do this. And he said, I'm, I'm not gonna do that, dad. I said, okay, final answer. I asked him one more time and he said he wasn't going to do it. That was the first time he had really pushed back against me like that. So my response, and my, I'm a little overreactive sometimes. So my response was, as I looked at all the stuff in his room and I just started saying, well, okay, this is mine. This is mine. This, this is now mine. This is mine. I took his phone, took every single power cord, everything I could find that he liked or loved was in my arms. And I started walking out of the door and I said, when you're ready to be obedient, maybe you'll get some of these, these things back sometime. And I walked out of the room. So Luke eventually came down and apologized did what he was asked, and I would slowly give him his things back. Um, that is not parenting advice. I'm not suggesting you do that. But Luke never stood up to me and disobeyed like that again. But there's a tendency in us to use our dads to look at our heavenly dad, our heavenly father. And sometimes we're overreactive. Sometimes we're too close and too controlling. Sometimes we're too distant and emotionally disconnected. But whatever your background is, Let's go to God's word this morning and learn from God himself about what he is like. We're gonna look at three different names this morning. The first one is the name Elohim. Elohim is a name that God used a ton in the Old Testament, over 2,000 times. And even though the Hebrew name is Elohim, as you're reading your Old Testament, every time you just see the name God, that's Elohim. Translators translate Elohim in the Hebrew to the word God in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, this is the very first name that God uses. If you were to open your Bible to Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim. And Elohim is a plural noun, which indicates a couple of things. Usually when a noun is plural in the Old Testament, it speaks to royalty, to greatness, to majesty, also, it's likely that even here in the first verse, in the first book of the Bible, that we see the triune nature of God, the fact that God is three in one, in that the word he uses, the name that he gives is plural in nature. And in these moments, it was Elohim who spoke and everything came into being. It is Elohim who said, let there be and then there was. He simply spoke, let there be, and then there was. And then when he created all things, he looked at the things he created and said, it is good. It is good. It is very good. So from that reality, there's a couple of different things that stick out to us. That's true of Elohim. Number one, God, who is Elohim, is over all of creation. He is mighty, he is strong, he is all-powerful. Our God, Elohim, is great. 
He is glorious, he is holy, and he is upright. He is sovereign, which means he has, over, he has control over all things. Nothing is outside of his control. And also, it means that God is intentional. When God created, he created in just the way he intended to create. You, me, that mountain, that star, that galaxy, that atom is just the way he made it and intended it to be. He is intentional and he is good. He is Elohim. The second name we're gonna look at, and then we're gonna see how the names go together, and then we're gonna talk about response, but the second name we're gonna look at is the name Yahweh, Yahweh. And this name references God as our redeemer, the self-existent one. And when you go to your Old Testament, when you see the name Lord with a capital L-O-R-D, all letters being capital, this is the name Yahweh. Now you'll also see it Lord with lowercase, and that's a different name. We'll get to that name in a little bit. But when it's all capitalized, you are looking at the name Yahweh. It's used over 6,800 times. It's the most used name of God. At the same time, there's three other qualities to this name that are important to know. Number one, this name tends to be the personal name of God that he uses. For example, in Genesis chapter one, throughout all of Genesis chapter one, he uses the name Elohim. And in chapter one, you're seeing these cosmic, big, huge movements that God's doing. He's not being impersonal, but he's just creating all of light, all of the land, all of the creatures, boom, boom, boom. And then in Genesis two, it kind of narrows down and shares creation in more of a personal way. Adam and Eve are named. God is walking in the garden. And in those moments, God ref refers to himself as Yahweh. When God breathed the breath of life into man, he does it as he reveals himself as Yahweh breathes the breath of life into man. It is Yahweh who recognizes Adam's loneliness and then creates Eve to give him comfort and a companion. It is Yahweh who walks in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It's Yahweh who calls to Adam and Eve to come out of the bush as they hide after they've sinned. It's in those very personal moments with mankind in those first days where he reveals himself as Yahweh. So it's his personal name. It's also a name that is to be considered holy. In fact, the Hebrew authors never said this name out loud. They wouldn't say it out loud. And they also wouldn't even write down the vowel points. So if you look at your slide, this is, Roz did this for us. Um, the, the four letters up there, there's Hebrew letters and Hebrew goes the opposite direction. So we read left to right, that goes right to left. Those are four consonants in the Hebrew language. Typically you then look, put little points and dots around them to see where the vowels go. With this name of God, we don't know where the vowel points go. So it could be Yahweh, or if you had different vowels, it would be Jehovah. It could be Jehovah, or it could be Yahweh. So if you hear either of those names ever being used, it's referencing these same four consonants. It's called the tetragrammaton, but fancy word for four Hebrew consonants, representing this name of God, this very holy, unspoken, name of God.
In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, there is a death penalty that is imposed for anyone who blasphemies this name of God. It is personal and it is holy. This name is also connected to God's redemptive work, okay? Redemptive works means when God takes those who are broken by sin and gives them peace and access to God, okay? The example here that we're going to read is from Exodus 6, where the people of Israel are enslaved by the Egyptians and God redeems them from slavery and gives them their own land and frees them. So listen to these words, Exodus 6, verses two through three, it says, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. He's saying there, I am Yahweh. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty or El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So he's been using the name Yahweh now for all of the book of Genesis and up to this point in Exodus. But what he's saying is, I haven't fully declared, I have not fully revealed all that goes into and what's true of me when I use this name. So God's about to show Moses and the people of Israel and us all that it means when he calls himself Yahweh. So in verse six, He goes on and God says, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians and I will rescue you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you as my people and I will be your God. I will be your Elohim. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, your Elohim. You will know that I am your personal God, your redeemer, your holy God, who's also sovereign over all of creation, who's almighty and all powerful. When he says that, your Yahweh, your Elohim, there's so much to that. And we're gonna go deeper into it. But he reveals himself that way by putting those two names together. You shall know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. I will bring you to a land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. So he starts it by saying, I am Yahweh, and describes what he's going to do. And he accomplishes everything that he says he's going to do. And then he finishes by saying, and I am Yahweh. He has now revealed himself in terms of what this means to be Yahweh. He's personally involved. He personally cares. He knows what's going on with his people and he's going to intercede for his people. God's names reveal who he is, but then God's names also reveal his relationship to us and how he's going to engage with us. And in knowing this, we also are called to respond to who he is and what he's like. So if we jump to Deuteronomy 6, we see this Yahweh is our Elohim and then how we respond to that reality. He says in Hebrews 6, 4 and 5, which when Jesus was stopped by some of the Pharisees and challenged 
And they're like, so if you were to sum up the Old Testament, Jesus, or pick the most important thing, it was kind of a trap, what would you say is the key commandment from the Old Testament? And Jesus references this. So the verse we're about to read is like the summation of the Old Testament. How do we live out God's law? It's here. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. Yahweh is our Elohim. Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh, your Elohim, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Because of the reality of who Yahweh is, the God who knows you, the God who cares about you, the God who will redeem you, the God who personally interacts with you and engages with you and saves you and pulls you out with an outstretched arm, who is also your Elohim, who's over all things, who's sovereign, who's in control, who made everything just the way he intended because he's those things, everything inside of you, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, should be devoted to him in this response of love, committed to him, given to him, singing out praises to him. So how does knowing Yahweh is our Elohim impact our relationship with him? So let's go at this a little bit. Yahweh is our Elohim. When we focus on the first part of that, who Yahweh is, it does a couple things. It points to the personal and relational nature of God. So in the Old Testament, you actually saw God interacting with his people. Even now today, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the person of Jesus and God the Father, there's personal interaction going on between us and God all the time. He still is Yahweh. Yahweh also shows his commitment to us. He reached out and down to us to save us and to redeem us. The whole thing we read in Exodus chapter six, where he saves them out of slavery of Egypt and gives them a place to call their own, it's a picture, it's real, it's completely historically accurate, but God does that to show and give an example of what is yet to come. The real redemption story wasn't that moment, it was when Jesus came. So the people of Israel were saved and given their own land, but when Jesus came, he took you and I, broken people enslaved by sin, and he outstretched his arm and outstretched his arms and died on a cross in your place and mine that we might be saved, forgiven if we call in faith on the name of Jesus. So this name Yahweh points the reality and the person of Jesus. So with these things being true, we have to realize that God's arms are extended and they're open? Will we lean into them? Will we embrace him back in the way that he has so much embraced us? The front door is always open with God. The porch light is on and he's right inside with open arms ready for you and for me. Part of knowing that he's Yahweh is knowing that he's always there for us. We cannot wander too far because he is Yahweh and he is engaged and he is there and he is personal and he cares. So what we start to do is we start to take our lives and if we know that this is our key relationship 
and God is 100% in this relationship and he's ready to go, we start to revolve the rest of our lives around this reality. How do I cut out other things I spend more time with him? How do I make sure I'm not distracted from this because of this or this or this? Sometimes we let our lives get so busy that we miss out on the thing that we're made for. We're made for Yahweh. And Yahweh has reached his arm out to make that available to us. We have full access to him. But sometimes we just get wrapped up in other things. Yahweh is our Elohim. So the second part there points to the fact that he's the creator, he is the supreme ruler, he is king, no one can stop Elohim. So when he put his plan of redemption into movement, into process, no one could stop him. And as we approach him, we must remember we're entering into a throne room of the almighty creator of the universe. So with this, these two things happening, I can run into the throne room and grab his leg like a child grabbing their dad's leg and say, I need you, dad. But there's also moments when we go into his throne room and we go, oh my goodness. And we go on bended knee and we tremble because he's also Elohim, the maker and creator of all things. Both of those realities are true in our relationship with God. If I recognize him as Elohim and the ruler of all things, does my life look like it's ruled by him? Does my schedule look like it's ruled by him? If he's over all things, is he over my things? Or do I hold on to my things, my things, my people, my relationships, my money, my stuff? Or is it his? Our response to him being Elohim is we say, you're ruler of all, including me, my direction, my schedule, my stuff. The third name is fun. It's the name Adonai. And the name Adonai references God as our master and our owner. It's used over 300 times in the Old Testament. So if we pull up the three names that we've gone over so far, Elohim, Looks like God, that's how it's translated in the Old Testament. Yahweh is capital L-O-R-D. And Adonai is also the name Lord, but it's a lowercase O-R-D. So when you see that, it's the name Adonai. And it signifies ownership, God's perfect right of possession over all men and women. It also expresses the relationship of lordship, over each and every one of us. There's this interesting interaction in Genesis chapter 15. We're not gonna go there for time's sake, but Abram, who is Abraham, before he had his name changed to Abraham, Abram was interacting with the Lord. And the Lord keeps referencing himself as Yahweh. I, Yahweh, will do this. I, Yahweh, will do that. And Abram just keeps simply responding, yes, Adonai, yes, Adonai. So there's this interesting moment in that chapter, I'd encourage you to go read it this afternoon, where God's revealing himself as Yahweh and the right response that Abram's having and the right response that I hope we have is, yes, master, yes, donor, you are in charge of everything in my life. You are master. So that was Abram's response. In Isaiah chapter six, we see Isaiah having a moment with the Lord in a vision and he has a similar response. In verses one and two, it says this, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. 
Isaiah says, I saw Adonai sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple, which shows power and majesty. Seraphim, angelic beings, stood above Adonai, each having six wings. Two would cover their face, two would cover their feet, and then with two, he flew. Isaiah's first response when he walks into this throne room, like you, you get a picture of what he's seeing, what he's seeing and what he sees causes him to respond by saying, I saw Adonai, I saw the master, I saw my owner, that's his response. And then he hears the seraphim begin to exclaim out loud. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. So the picture, what's happening, what Isaiah is seeing is starting to grow in terms of, wow, like it's hitting them. Like seraphim are calling to one another about the God who they're seeing, about Adonai. And what they say out loud is, holy, holy, holy is the one who they're seeing. And to say it three times is basically to say he is perfect in his holiness. It's an exclamation point around the word holy to say it three times. And they recognize it and they say it and they worship him because of it. And they go on to say, he is Yahweh of hosts. He's the Lord of hosts. He's Yahweh Sabaoth is the Hebrew. And all that means there is they're saying, he is my ruler. The seraphim are some of the armies of heaven. And they're saying, he's the commander of the armies of heaven. He's the master. We are servants. They're saying that out loud. So they're having the same response as Isaiah had. Isaiah looks at him and says, master. The seraphim look at him and they say, Lord. That's the appropriate response. And for us, because we're Americans, because we're West Virginians, because we're humans, that idea of someone's are being our master is hard to hear. But if you walked into this throne room, you wouldn't walk in and say, I'm in charge here. You, you wouldn't do that. It is so clear to Isaiah and it has to be so clear to us that Yahweh who is personal, who's our redeemer, Elohim who is king and supreme over all things is also Adonai who is our master. To the Lord, we say, thank you. We love you for redeeming us. We say, you are ruler of all things. And we also say, yes, sir. Whatever you want, yes, sir. He is the master of you and of me. Isaiah felt that. Isaiah knew that. The seraphim felt that. The seraphim knew that. In Isaiah chapter six, verse five, in this moment, Isaiah says this. Then I said, woe is me for I am ruined. And it's hard to, we don't say woe is me. We don't use the phrase I am ruined very often. What he's saying is I'm likely gonna die. Like I shouldn't be here right now. I'm, I'm out of my depths. I've jumped in the deep end of the pool and I can't swim. I'm gonna need a little help is what he's saying right here because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. 
and for my eyes have seen the King, the Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies of heaven. I'm seeing him and woe to me because I shouldn't be here. I know I am ruined. He recognizes his need for cleansing. He recognizes his own wretchedness. He recognizes the wretchedness of those who he spends time with, who he lives with. Both culture and himself personally are unacceptable in the presence of holy, holy, holy Adonai. And he recognizes that filth has entered the courts of Yahweh and he is the filth. So he calls out, he knows that he needs cleansing and God responds. Isaiah 6, 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity, which is his sin, is taken away and your sin is forgiven. How does a coal cleanse someone from sin? I don't know. Is this... Isaiah physically in God's presence, or is this a vision? I don't fully know. But in that moment, Adonai sees fit. Holy, holy, holy Yahweh sees fit to this be the way of cleansing Isaiah for this moment. So now Isaiah, who was saying, woe to me, is now recognizing that he's been cleansed by a gracious God. His master didn't get rid of him or destroy him. He cleansed him. So now in the presence of Adonai, he hears the words of Adonai. Chapter six, verse eight says, then I heard the voice of Adonai saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, who's just been cleansed, who's seen this incredible vision, who's listened to seraphim singing one to the other about the greatness of the God who's in front of them says, here am I, send me. Isaiah responds saying, you need someone to go, send me. We have to realize at this moment, Isaiah doesn't know what the assignment is. Adonai, the master has said, we need someone to go for us. He hasn't said what the assignment's going to be, what's going to need to happen. So Isaiah doesn't know if he has the skill mix necessary. Isaiah doesn't even know if he's going to want to do what God's about to ask. But what does he know? He knows who his God is. He has looked upon God most high. He has seen Adonai in action. He's watched the hosts of heaven sing out and declare his rulership, that he is master of all things. And simply because he knows God and by knowing God alone, his response to the name of God, to the reality of God, to this vision of God is, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Whatever it is you want me to do, sign me up. Name on dotted line. <clears throat> so for us, how often do we look at our master at Adonai and say, well, let's talk about terms and conditions first. I'll, maybe, maybe I'll do it, but let me hear what I'm gonna get out of it. Isaiah doesn't know any of those things. He responds appropriately and he responds quickly to Adonai. Back in college, or as my wife and I completed college, we got married our last year of college, uh, we were challenged to go to Mexico. If we could throw that picture up there. Um, we were challenged to go to Mexico, us and this little ragtag crew. 
um, Jen and I were asked to try to lead this team to start a ministry in Guadalajara, Mexico. Now, part of this was me just being young. I didn't know all the questions to ask. Like, has there been a team there before? Is there a place where we would stay? How important is it for us to know Spanish? Some of those seem like obvious answers. But we went ahead. Have you ever seen Gilligan's Island? You know that picture of Gilligan's Island right before they get on the boat, everything seems okay? That's what that picture reminds me of. But anyways, um, so we, we agreed to go. And three months later, we're on a plane going. I learned a little Spanish back in the day. Not very good three months later. Sorry, that, oh, okay, looks different in the back. I, my wife, who has never studied Spanish, starts to study Spanish for two or three months. If you can imagine taking someone who's only ever studied French, mix in a little Spanish, and then have their, make, their basic language be English, that's what we had with us. We had Jen Graham with us. Really cute, really fun, Mex the Mexican folks loved her, couldn't understand a thing she was saying. I couldn't understand what she was saying. The poor lady was so messed up. I remember another buddy, I'm just sharing stories right now. I remember another buddy, uh, Dan, he was there and he was introducing himself to a student and he was trying to introduce the student to his wife and Dan also wasn't very good at Spanish. And he was trying to say, let me introduce you to my wife. And I even knew what he was really saying. He was saying, I don't know why, I'd like my wife to dance for you. And then we'll look at his wife. His wife's face turned red the young Mexican student's face turned red, which wasn't easy. And we all knew something was off. So she finally said, I'm not going to dance. And Dan's like, what are you talking about? You just told him I was gonna dance. So that was us, okay? So we stuck our hand up and said, here am I, send me. Next thing you know, we're in Mexico. We're telling kids that our wives are gonna dance. We're struggling between French and Spanish. And the year went okay. It wasn't great, it was okay. But for you and me, it's not how successful are we gonna be, it's are we faithfully saying to the Lord who is our master, who is our Yahweh, who is our Elohim, I'll simply go. If you call me to do something, I will simply go. And you don't have to go to Mexico or some other place to do it. Even right now, we've started this team called the Fresh Start Team. Uh, we're helping folks who are coming out of homelessness and they're entering into a new home situation. We have a team that brings them some basic needs. On that team, we have somebody who runs Excel sheets. That's their call. Like God called them to run Excel sheets. Maybe that's your thing. Others are taking the stuff to the folks who are now getting into their home for the first time. Others are there to pray for them and to ask them if they can do anything for them spiritually. Perhaps that's the call that God has on you. If that's not it, perhaps the response that we have to Yahweh, who is our Elohim, who is Adonai and our master, maybe our response is simply, when he looks at us and says, go and make disciples, we say, I'll do it. And when the Lord tells us to go and make disciples, it's not some big grandiose thing, it's the little, the little moments of every day where we intentionally share the love of God, the love of Jesus with someone who's hurting. We say an encouraging word, or there's a moment where we could be judgmental or we could give grace and we choose grace. Those are the moments where we say, here am I, send me. It's in those little moments. When Isaiah said yes, what God then gave him to do is he said, you're gonna go to a people and they're not gonna listen to you. In fact, the more you talk, the harder their hearts will get to the point where I'm gonna have to send in another country and wipe them out. That was the assignment Isaiah received. 
It wasn't good news for Isaiah. And I can't guarantee that when you say, here am I, send me, that you're gonna have a Braveheart moment. You know what I mean? You're not gonna have a moment where all of a sudden, you know, the crowd surrounds you and something great happens. It's more just in the nitty gritty of life. This faithfulness of God and this faithfulness of God's people saying, I'll do it, I'll go. So my challenge to you this week is that you would respond to Adonai, that you would raise your hand and just say, cleanse me and send me. When Isaiah was in God's presence, he recognized God's holiness. He recognized that he was in charge of all things. And you and I, even though we're forgiven by Jesus, we still sin. So saying cleanse me is a good thing. And then saying send me is also a good thing. And then you enter into your Monday, into your Tuesday, into your weeks, into your months saying, Lord, how can you use me in these moments to bring more attention to who you are? So my challenge to you, my challenge to me and to us as a church is we're a church that raises our hand, that we know who our God is by his names. He is Elohim. He really is Yahweh. He is our master. And he is saying, who will go for us? And he's called us to raise our hands. May we do so. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us so clearly. I thank you that you have shown that your relationship with us is deep and intimate. And Lord, that we can raise our hand trusting that you will call us into a place where we can bring glory to you and share the love of Jesus to others. So Father, use this time together, use your word, uh, use Isaiah chapter six to change who we are in our response to you. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at biblecenterchurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.